0: had so much trouble trying to figure out how to start this inaugural podcast but I think I think I've got a good story about how and why I'm here at all doing this podcast and even considering doing a whole series um how many of you guys been to Germany did you guys love it because I freaking loved it uh I was in Munich and Nuremberg about two and a bit years ago for the Christmas markets and the atmosphere was just so high and positive and delicious and cozy and magic. It was just lovely. And the first thing that really struck me was that German people are incredibly friendly, helpful and gregarious and so much fun. The second thing that really, really struck me was their refreshing wisdom and desire to keep the countries in glorious history surrounding World War II alive in a very tasteful way though mind you they did it very well in the museums and the little um, plaques and um, artwork that was all through Nuremberg and Munich that I saw anyway it was done really really well and it really got me thinking really felt like there was an acute awareness that trauma can be passed down from generation to generation that it's hereditary if it's not addressed and there's this understanding that if the ugly truth is not brought to light and really engaged with then the silent trauma can leach beyond the individual the the family the community and and the world even so silence perpetuates trauma And being open to healing and engaging with the truth, no matter how ugly it may be, is the key to actually disrupting it and ending it for good. It feels counterintuitive sometimes, like it's just put an end to this trauma by not speaking about it here and now rather than reliving it all the time and talking about it. But it actually is the best way to, I believe, the best way to really stop trauma from being perpetuated in its tracks is to actually openly talk about it and engage with it in a meaningful way rather than sweeping it under the rug. And so here I am, I I have some really heavy experiences to draw upon and since the dissolution of my marriage to, uh, just under two years ago, I have been metabolizing a lot behind closed doors and today I'm just trying to bring to you roughly four or five key lessons that I felt I learned about myself and my divorce and I hope that it helps anyone out there who's grappling with a separation or they have been through a divorce but they haven't had any closure. Hopefully, like maybe this will provide some clarity or get your... Um, Brain going on where to start. So yeah, here's to healing, healing so that we can heal generations to come, because it's only then will our children be able to live the life that they're worthy of living. Um, instead of spending it trying to heal the wounds that we inflicted upon them and weren't accountable for. So let's be accountable together and let's get a crack on with this episode, my first episode. I hope I get better at this. (laughs) Okay, so number one, I ain't no perfect human. I know I messed up in the marriage as well. I wasn't perfect in it, but Nobody is. If you were perfect, you'd have no one to relate to. So here I am <laughs> being accountable for my part, my shit in the marriage. Um, what I noticed is that when you get caught up in the day-to-day grind, in the mundane daily routine and you're tired, you fall into autopilot. And often you start mirroring um, relationship behavioural patterns that you saw in your primary carers growing up or from the adults that were around you. And for me, martyrdom was massive. I'm trying to kick this one in the butt, <laughs> but there's definitely something that runs deep where In my family, we do a shit ton for each other, like loads, but then don't express that we've overextended ourselves and then end up resenting other family members because we did so much work around the house or whatever it is. Um, Yeah, it definitely taught me that I have some improvement to do in boundary setting And understanding what I actually need and then communicating that. Um, And yeah, the other key thing that I also learned as well when I got really tired was that um, there are some key things like money. They mean different things for different people. And when you're tired, these things can sort of come up and flare up um, for seemingly no apparent reason. But your money is definitely something that's worth sitting down and talking to your partner, talking about with your partner. What does it actually mean to them? How much is enough? And when I talk about what does it mean, like for some people, it means safety. For some people, it means it's to be enjoyed. For some people, it's about status. For some people... It's whatever it meant for their parents or the way that they they saw their parent use money. Whatever it is, it's so worthwhile just sitting down and asking each other a bunch of questions and really getting a feel for what it means for yourself because I really feel like some people don't even know what money means for themselves and asking your partner what money means for them. And once you have that conversation when you sort of fall into autopilot and you, you're you doing different things with money in a relationship, you're less likely to fall into arguments. Um, And just a random fun fact, by the way, two-thirds of all relationship issues aren't solvable apparently, according to the Gottman Institute. Um, So yeah, uh, that makes me ask does that mean I'm supposed to accept two-thirds of all arguments and just not argue back, or is it does that mean that there's a fair amount of unresolved issues because there are a lot of wounding in our partners and in ourselves and therefore we need to be more responsible about healing those things and more aware of what these different incidences mean for each of us? I think though now I'm starting to blur <laughs> into my next point the key thing the second key learning that i learned from my divorce with that was that ultimately most people are searching for a sense of love safety and belonging in a relationship like they're they're searching for a real sense of acceptance and love and safety and belonging and since we're The majority of people are searching for that stuff outside of them. They're reinforcing that they don't have that stuff. And the only real consistent place where you can really create that for yourself from is from within. So there's this illusion that relationships are all out there, all outside of us. But a lot of the time, our relationships are dictated by how we relate to ourselves. So instead of searching for love, safety, acceptance and belonging, it's about creating that for ourselves. And what does that look like? Um, and realizing that when we give ourselves all these things, we improve our relationship with ourselves, And therefore, we are more likely to have better relationships outside of us and if we're emotionally triggered by a situation it's so much more powerful to sit there and go why am i angry why am i the way i am where did i pick this up from what behavioral pattern is this is this you know auntie joe's pattern of behaving this way in a passive aggressive way did i pick that up from her that's so much more radically powerful than going, oh, I'm sad or angry or my emotional state is purely dictated by my partner behaving in certain ways. That's so disempowering. Yeah, sure, your partner might have done something to ups- that. that is upsetting, but it's not necessarily always to upset you. And the question is to... Ask yourself like why does this trigger you? why does it bother you? Can you set a boundary here and how will you communicate that? Um, yeah, so that was my second point. second point is that relationships are more about our relationship to ourselves and that we are the our relationship to ourselves is the ultimate relationship and every other relationship around us is a mirror of that. Okay, I think I've got that one down pat. Now, it kind of ties in with my third point about us searching for things outside of us in a relationship. But really, the only place that we can find those things is within ourselves. I hope this is making sense to you. (laughs) But, for example, my greatest desire and need in a relationship was, I'm hoping it's was, because I'm doing a good job of providing it for myself now. I don't need it anymore from a relationship. But my greatest desire and need in a relationship was safety. I remember at one point when my ex-husband and I had separated, I was living in my own apartment for a couple of months now, but I was absolutely inconsolable this one night. I was just crying and crying and crying on the couch, and I just sort of snapped out of it, and I just asked myself, I'm like, right what is it actually you really want? Because it's not him that you want back. Like, why are you crying? And I could hear myself say, I want safety. Now, where did this come from? Um, it was a major unmet need for me as a child. I didn't have the safety that I craved. And I'll touch upon it a little bit later little bit of trigger warning. My next point is going to be about sexual abuse. So if this isn't for you, you can turn it off in about two minutes or so to avoid the next point. But my greatest desire was safety because I didn't get it as a kid. And my question to you is that what was your greatest need as a child that you did not get? Because that is probably right in the bullseye Of where one of your biggest wounds are. Wounds will attract wounds until they're healed. And so my desire for safety actually attracted a partner who also was looking for safety. He was highly, highly anxious. Needed lots of reassurance and security on different facets in terms of finances or... Anyway... Not to get into too many details, but being accountable about this, recognizing that at first that I needed safety and now being accountable and providing myself with that sense of safety. And you ask myself and you ask me, well, what the hell can a 34-year-old who seems to have her head screwed on and life worked out, like why would she still not feel safe? So this brings me to my fourth point. And um, it does touch upon themes of sexual abuse. So please, if you feel like you can't stomach this, you're welcome to turn off the podcast now. One of the things that really bothered me was how did I let my toxic ex-husband so far into my inner sanctum and to become my best friend and I realized it kind of stemmed from tragically a long history of sexual abuse by one of my parents um the actual abuse doesn't have any more energetic charge to me like it's so I've been processing it for so long for so many decades but um I've had to recently cut out uh One of my parents who defended the perpetrator recently, and so this is a bit this is the part that's slightly still a bit difficult for me to talk about but i I am ready to talk about it that's for to me done and dusted so um in a nutshell, as a child, one parent was abusing me from i don't know in my toddler toddler age till about age four or five um and then there were other aunts and uncles in the family that were kind of getting suspicious and so I believe it stopped for some time unless I've blocked out some of the memory resumed again in my teens I felt I had done something wrong to deserve the abuse and didn't have the courage or the mind to really tell my other parent until I was nineteen. Now, despite telling this other parent that I had been sexually abused by my other parent, um, there was still a desire to for everyone to remain in the family unit, and me being brainwashed for my entire life went along with it in my early 20s and still went to dinner with both my parents and acted as though everything was normal. And it wasn't until... I was proposed to and I realised that I didn't want this particular parent who was the perpetrator at my wedding. And so I legally cut them out of my life, writing a formal letter using the help of one of Melbourne's leading psychologists to pen the letter, sent it off. And that was that. That was in 2016. Yes, 2016. And since then, the other parent, who I was still in contact with, continued to still pass on messages from this other parent and expose me to uh, my abuser repeatedly. And this is just so insidious and so crazy to an outsider. Even like me saying it now, it sounds crazy, but it wasn't until I moved to Spain and had some space from my family in Australia that I realised that this is a really unhealthy response to what happened. And I've decided to cut out both my parents and remove myself from this toxicity. And I hope that one day I'm at a place where I'm so healed and so compassionate. Uh, I mean, I can see my wounded parents for who they are and I can still love them in a way but right now I can't I don't have the bandwidth to be able to sit with them in their wounding and their toxicity and, and to accommodate that but I hope that one day I am so zen like the beautiful my favorite buddha zen monk who sadly passed away recently Um, if I could be like him and sit with anyone and everyone with the amount of love and compassion that he had, that would be the ultimate goal, that would be the ultimate dream, to be able to accommodate everyone so lovingly. So for now, I just, for my own health and my own expansion, I need to cut out both of my parents for now. But the key thing that I learnt about cutting out this final parent was that the closest people to me are sometimes the worst abusers and perpetrators of betrayal. And that is why I married a highly toxic, covert narcissist, that was my ex-husband. Not to get too much into too many details, but I had about two or three different psychologists and we sort of unpacked the events leading up to and after our separation. And it seems to fit quite well into the category of covert narcissism or even just narciss- narcissism full stop. I might do another episode on narcissism. It's a whole topic in and of itself. But um, yeah, Um, it really disturbed me that I didn't know how this man made it so far into my life to become my best friend and now it's so clear it's because I had these parents who were so, so close to me and they abused my trust and um, through my wounding and through the wounds that they inflicted on me, I ended up attracting A, someone who also wanted safety like me and B, someone who was very similar energetically to both my parents and now that I can see that and make the correlation, if I sense that ever again, it's not even going to come within two feet of me, I'm going to be running a mile away from that. So now that I can understand where it's coming from, I hope that it wouldn't happen again with this level of awareness and the final key lesson that I learned from the dissolution of my marriage and it kind of ties in with that last point is that I have a really high tolerance for abuse and toxicity and you may too you may well have a very high tolerance for abuse and toxicity and you may not even know it because you've been swimming in this programming for your entire life or since the day you were born, and it's really hard for you to see because it's all you've ever known. There's something in psychology called intermittent reinforcement. Um, It's basically intermittent or small doses of kindness and love from a spouse or a parent or a sibling, but ultimately it's inside a container of abuse. And to me, abuse doesn't have to be heavy like sexual abuse. Abuse is anything that is not done with love. So if you're in a relationship that has just enough kindness and love just to give you a bit of a dose until you get your next hit, But ultimately the entire relationship is abusive and manipulative. I don't know if that's the most loving thing for you to do, to stay in that. I don't think that's very responsible of you to stay in a relationship like that and expose yourself to that sort of abuse. If you don't own your worth, if you don't see how priceless and worthy you are to walk away from things like that, what makes you think someone else will will treat you like you're truly priceless if you can't do that for yourself. If you can't get good at listening to what you need and if you can't get good at asking for what you need, it's going to be really, really hard for you to do that in a relationship if you can't even do that for yourself by yourself. Um, <laughs> there's some heavy topics here I just sort of had a moment where I was just um blown away by how common it is and how often I see it around me and it just made me really really sad I wish so much that I could take away the painful people but I can't this is your journey, your karma and the best I can do is just share my story and maybe shake things up and make you potentially realise that you're in danger zone and it's time for you to be radically accountable and get up and get out is all I'm going to say. Um, I think I have a sixth point actually the biggest gift you can give another human being is to really understand and hear them and understand their reality. And even if you do, even if you do understand them, I I do feel like I really understood my ex-husband. Even if you really do, it doesn't mean that the relationship will go well because you know what? you can't get really good at listening and understanding another human unless you can do that for yourself. And as you can see, I only cut out that final parent a couple of weeks ago, nearly two years after my divorce. And I've been really crap at listening to myself and giving myself what I needed. My entire being was screaming for safety from this abuser my entire life and yet I kept one parent in my life who kept exposing me to this perpetrator in the name of love so get really really good at listening to yourself and understanding yourself first and foremost because as long as you're not good at that you're not going to be good at listening and really understanding another human being and that's the greatest gift, and often the only desire people have in a relationship is to be really heard and to be really, really seen. so yeah, I think that's uh that was an unexpected bonus number six <laughs> lesson that I learned from my divorce is to get really good at listening and comprehending yourself first and foremost. And I guess that's that's it. That's the six key lessons about my divorce that I learned. I hope this helps. I hope this inspires you to keep going if you're already on the healing path and if you're not, to really start thinking about it. And I'm sending you so much love because it is so hard. It is so hard being accountable for healing your familial patterns, but it's so rewarding. Our ability to connect with another human being is probably the single most important skill we will ever develop. But it's also the hardest thing that we could ever do because it makes us look at things that we aren't good at or makes us look at really ugly truths that sometimes we're not ready to process yet. So I'm sending you so, 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 so much love if you're in this place, and I'm wishing you all the best, always. Love, Tam.